Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Alexis en el descuento ha marcado el Arsenal como viene siendo habitual esta temporada. Gol de Alexis 1-0 Arsenal. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always with James from Gunnerblog. Good morning. Good morning. The big question, I suppose we have to start here. There's no escaping it. We can't ignore it. We're just going to have to like get our heads down and get on sure. with it. Um, how do you get that Taylor Swift song out of your head? It's really difficult, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. I think maybe just hitting your head against something for a, a long period of time. Yeah, because you can, you, you certainly can shake it off. That's that's the thing. No, I know you're stuck with it. Mm. Um, unless you're a cockroach, in which case I think you can survive briefly without a head. Yeah, and they also don't have ears. Do you know that? Yeah. yeah, they don't have ears at all. So uh, no, so they're immune to Taylor Swift. Absolutely. They, in fact, if a sort of Taylor Swift Holocaust occurred, that some people say cockroaches would be the only thing that would survive. Yeah, cockroaches and Taylor Swift will be the only things that will survive. They'd have to start a new civilization together. Yeah. She would have no no domain over them because a they can't hear her when she's giving commands, and b. Um, they, they kind of operate on different planes, you know. Cockroaches mm. are much more down-to-earth, basically. Self-sufficient. Yeah, they're good. And, and Taylor Swift needs adulation and applause, and she won't get that. Not from them. No. They're a difficult audience. Yeah, they are. A tough crowd, people have said. Indeed. So, um, yeah. So that was the Ask Us Extra. Thanks for everyone. Bye. <laughs> we'll catch you next week. Yeah. Feels a bit no, like that, doesn't it? Well, I don't know. How many more of these we've got to do until the end of the season? A lot more. A lot more. A lot yeah. more. <laughs> and remember, we don't, take, um, we don't take summer holidays either. No. For this. So um, quite, quite, quite a lot more. We're, we're going to be doing this until we die. Yeah. Yeah, just us and the cockroaches. Right, well, let's get into it then. And what Taylor you, Swift. And Taylor Swift in the background. Yeah. Um, and a lorry, probably. <laughs> what uh, What did you make of that then, at the weekend? Um, I found it infuriating in some respects and also just in other respects, it just felt what's the word we've used? Inevitable. We've used that word a number of times. But what did my head in, I have to say, was the was the Wilshire miss. That yeah. absolutely drove me mad. And I'm not, you know, I don't normally get overly vexed by 
results or matches or, or performances, you know, because I don't think there was any issue with Arsenal in terms of effort or or trying hard. You know, the way people will, will say after a game, oh, they, they didn't want to win, there was no desire, there was no passion. Yeah. All these intangibles, which are very hard to measure, I never got the sense that we weren't trying our best. So uh-huh. from, that, from that point of view, you know, you, you can't really have any complaints, but the the fact that we had, we'd played quite well and worked hard to get ourselves into uh, decent positions to score goals and we were found wanting there. Um, I thought Welbeck should have done better in the opening stages. I thought Wilshire's miss was the kind of thing that you knew would come back to haunt you. Mm-hmm. It really was. And for me, it was just, oh, it was awful, awful. What he was going have... through his head, do you think? I don't know. I mean, it, you know, I don't know why he just didn't open up his body and just put it to the to the, to the the right-hand side of De Gea. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what he was trying to do in terms of the finish because he made the the run was brilliant, the pass was brilliant, the first touch was, was really good, and then the finish was just abject. And he had well, Alexis outside him as well. You know, if he'd really wanted to be... Um, super tippy-tappy Jack Wilshire, he could have just knocked it with his left foot into the path of Alexis, who would have had a tap-in. And I think that, on that moment, I won't say the game turned, but our our um, chance to make the game turn in our way went, went missing. Yeah. Uh, it was that classic Wilshire thing, really, almost, of too many touches, I thought. Mm. I thought he could have hit it earlier than he did. And he sort of, you know, he, he. I think he was maybe expecting uh, De Gea to to make a move to, I don't know, go to ground, and he didn't really. He stood, he stood yeah. quite big. He just hit and, it straight at him, and then he just ended up hitting it straight at him. Which oh, was crazy. it's driving me mad now. You know, even I now, t- you know, it, I mean, it was a very different one. But at Chelsea, uh, there was an opportunity for Wilshire as well, where he took that heavy touch. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. So he's had a couple of chances in big games that he's not been able to... Mm, and and even that moment in the second half, just before their goal, where he got injured... There oh, was, he I gives think, it earlier there. Yeah, but a heavy first touch took mm. it, meant that he overcooked the ball and allowed them to get in. I thought that was a nasty foul, and I thought we should have had a free kick on the edge of the box. But the fact is, we had four on three for a moment, and if he'd made the right pass at the right time, then we had another good goal-scoring chance. And then what happens, of course, is that they they get the um, they get the goal. What, what do you make of the goal? Their goal? Uh, well, look, I think it's a foul. Um, I suppose the first thing to say. I know that he's he possibly marginally offside for Laney, but I'm kind of of the mind that you know, the advantage is supposed to be with the attacker and I generally would want to see that, you know, both ways. But I think he definitely pushes Gibbs into Chesney mm. um, and that went unpunished. I mean, after that, I guess it's, you know, Gibbs diverts it into his own net. It's a little bit unfortunate. Could Chesney have done better? I don't know. Um, he's taken a bit of criticism for it, hasn't he? Mm. I, I think uh, I think when you look back on it, I, I worry a little bit. Not worry, but I wonder if Aaron Ramsey could have done more. He gave the ball away uh, in midfield, mm-hmm. and um, you know he got back into a reasonable position. But I think it was Ashley Young who cut back inside Callum Chambers, and Ramsey was just kind of standing off. 
and this comes back to uh, things we've spoken about in the, in the past, and, and the manager obviously has spoken about it, that, you know, to try and stop these crosses coming in, to stop the danger early, so you're not faced with a situation like we were uh, with Gibbs and, and Fellaini and Chesney making, you know, what, whatever mess they made of it. Ramsey just mm-hmm. kind of stood there. So I think, you know, it's small little things like that which can make which can make a big difference. Because if you look at it, um, uh, Mertesacker has Van Persie, who's just about to step offside. So Ramsey's marking nobody, really, and he just kind of stood there, hands behind his back, uh, and, and swung a leg at it rather than make any real effort. Now, maybe that's completely nitpicking the entire situation, but it just felt, oh, it was just one of those goals when it went in. You're looking at it, go- it was almost like a slow-motion kind of thing where the ball deflected off Gibbs into the net and there just seemed to be a couple of seconds where it, it felt I don't know what the r- right word is I couldn't not that I couldn't quite believe it but I was waiting for it just looked so ludicrous that it was like nah this can't be real mm, mm. and you know sort of the scene was added to by the fact that you know Chesney was down <laughs> Gibbs was down mm. you know Arsenal had been knocked out really by by a singular punch. And without even conceding a single shot on target, they'd managed to be behind. Yeah, well, that was... Incredible. (laughs) It's just the most arsehole thing of all time, isn't it? You know. Yeah. The opposition haven't had a shot on target and you're still losing the game. Absolutely unbelievable, really. But, I mean, I think against, against a team of that quality, there's always a chance, you know, someone will put a good cross in, something might happen, you might concede a goal. I do think that a lot of the... A lot of the issue with this match was the fact that we weren't in a, a position whereby that didn't hurt us. You know, we, we should have been ahead uh, comfortably as we were, uh, you know, in the same against Manchester City earlier the season. We had that great 20 minutes, just didn't do enough with it. Mm. So then the response from Arsenal seemed to be quite cavalier in the sense that we, we really yeah. went for it from then on and the goal went in in the 56th minute. Um now, we weren't caught until the 85th minute when Rooney got the second. But, you know, we kind of huffed and puffed, and there was an Alexis header, I think, was about the best chance we had. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, we really didn't do an awful lot to trouble the United defence. There's the no, lorry. It was, yeah, it was there he is. taunting us. Yeah, full of cockroaches. Um, yeah. Uh, there was a... Cazorla volley wasn't there from the edge of the box, but I mean, he can't score from six yards at the moment, mm. so that felt a little bit redundant. Uh, yeah, we didn't create a massive amount in that spell, and it was inevitable that we would get caught. I remember looking at the pitch and seeing quite how high Per Mertesacker was, and that's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? I mean, if you know, yeah. if they get a ball in over the top, when we're not catching them and that's exactly what happened you made a point on your blog about how you know it's it's very easy to to blame the manager and obviously he's got some some um you know some of the responsibility or most of the responsibility but also the players have to take some responsibility too but how do we how do we tally that like a guy like permer to who is hugely experienced i mean is there just they're they're trying too hard to make things happen they're you know um kind of losing the run of themselves a bit that there's this desperation to make sure that we get something from a game that makes them forget the basics to a certain extent maybe and maybe it's to do with the absence of a clear plan maybe because they they're they're less certain of what they're doing they have less conviction about you know the style of play and the way they should be set up 
so that it just becomes a question of you know individual exertion as you say becoming a bit desperate doing everything they can and making decisions that are perilous mm. um you know i i wasn't uh, able to be at that uh permatsaka went and spoke at a synagogue in north london uh, but i was speaking to someone the other day who was there and they said they felt it was quite telling when he was asked about tactical preparation and things like that he kind of clammed up a bit um and they got the sense that he he was expressing a sense that the team maybe do feel a little bit unaware of what they should be doing on the pitch. Yeah. Um, now that's reportage that's come by somebody else, but I think looking at them, that doesn't surprise me enormously. So that comes that comes back to the manager then for not just managing before the game and picking his team and, and setting out whatever uh, plan he's got, but also in-game management, that it's not necessarily... Uh, as good or effective as it should be because he said after the game that he didn't realise or he didn't quite understand why we had so many players pushed up the pitch. I mean, yeah, if that- he doesn't know why, I mean, I know why. I think we all know why those players were pushed up the pitch because they were desperate to get a goal. They were desperate not to lose to Manchester United. They're aware of the pressure that's on them, of the of the expectation. They're aware that the team's not playing well. They're not blind or deaf to what's going on, uh, you know, in the stands and beyond that. So that's the why. The question is uh, how it was allowed to happen to such an yeah. extent. Well, I think that's pretty pretty baffling isn't it I mean what he said was I don't know why we had nobody at the back at all you could see straight away that giving a two against one in your own half means you will be punished against these players yeah you can it's weird isn't it it's the same against Anderlecht he after the game he had quite a sort of eloquent explanation of how we threw it away but it was like well then you know why wasn't more done to affect that yeah uh Really, really, really difficult to explain. I mean, you know, I suppose people say, well, what can he do? He can, but the answer is he can literally stand on the sidelines and tell the fullback, say, to, to cover or the defensive midfielder to, to hold back. Yeah. Um, instead of just watching it unfold. I think anyone in the ground and probably anyone watching on television could see the danger of what might happen. I mean, I mean, is it a necessary risk? Is that is that just the situation we were in, that we had to go for it? I think at some point it becomes a necessary risk. And I don't necessarily have an issue with conceding in the 85th minute um, because, you, you know, you're at that point of the game where... Uh, where you do have to go for it. You you know, you'd be criticised if you weren't going for it, but I think there's a way of going for it without leaving yourself as exposed as we did. Hmm. Right? Um, I also think that when you concede in the 56th minute, you've got loads of time to get back into a game. Loads of time. Now, I know we were a little bit hampered because we had to change the goalkeeper. Um, And that was an interesting one as well, because I think um, the decision to make the substitution came from the manager. Um, despite the fact that Chesney appeared willing to to carry on. I think Colin Lewin was reporting that, but then told him no. So that was an interesting one. But it robbed us of another attacking substitution. Um, But I think, you know, when it's the 56th minute, you go, okay, we've got a goal down. Let's consolidate. Let's, you know, keep our shape. Let's try and build some momentum and pressure, real momentum and pressure, force United backwards. Uh. And with that pressure, I think you 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 have more chance of of scoring a goal rather than just going tally ho, 
and everybody <laughs> j- go, going charging forward because it's done without any real consideration of, of the effects of that. Uh, and I think we saw that uh, Rooney was given offside at one point when he uh, timed his run perfectly past Murtisacker. And that could have oh, been yeah, yeah. that could have been um, a damaging goal before, well before he scored. Uh, Angel of Mary, he could have made it three nil. Yeah, definitely should have made it three nil. You know, so I mean, yes, there is a point where you have to say, right, we'll go for it. But I think you can do it in a more controlled way. That would so, be my thinking. It easily could have been three or four. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't think that would have. I don't think that would have been reflective of the game or the performance because you know there were there were some positives from from the way that we played, the way we started. Um, you know, we, we we put real pressure on them. Obviously, they're a bit ramshackle at the back, and that again is what's really frustrating, isn't it? Is that this is the worst United side any of us can ever remember seeing, or certainly in the last twenty years defensively. It's a, it's a mess. Ashley Young as a come on. Yeah, I know. I mean, before the game, I looked at their lineup, and you know that that three centre backs of McNair, Smalling, and uh, who was it? Oh, Blackett. Yeah. And you know, it was impossible not to think, well, we've got a chance against these guys, you know. Um, and I guess we, you know, in some respects, we we did impose ourselves upon the upon that back three, but we never converted it into anything. And yeah. maybe some of the reason for that desperation that we talked about is that this is becoming such a familiar. Uh, occurrence for those Arsenal players you know they they see this happen almost week in week out where they lose that first goal and then they find themselves with a mountain to climb mm. um, it's really really troubling and I don't know I mean, what do you feel about because there are certain fans out there who are like well this was our best performance of the season there's a lot of positives to be taken I mean do you feel any of that positivity yourself no I think I think it's more worrying that on what is I think one of the the days when we played I won't say we played really well because I think it's relative to how we've played this season. We haven't we played quite well in comparison to some of the shite that we played this season. Yeah. Um but that worries me more that regardless of the fact that we played better than we have done, we still lost the game and still found a way to self-destruct. That worries me. Um because I I think there's a there's a for all the issues of personnel and you can't make any excuses for for the way we're um, for the way we're lined up at the back, and I, you know I don't see the point in going down that road again. And we all know the the deficiencies. I think there is an the, there's a fundamental issue of confidence within the team, and I worry that despite the fact they played well, they they still lost. And I think mm. that will prey on their minds, and I think it becomes more and more of a burden for them that they're going, oh, cry. You know, we played well, but we still lost. Mm. And and as much as winning becomes a habit, losing becomes a habit. And when you're playing well and things are going your way, you know, the, the, the Chesney, Gibbs, Valencia thing, you know what happens there is that you get away with it. That Gibbs sticks a leg out and it deflects over the bar or onto the crossbar or, you know, somebody makes a header. And when things aren't going well, you get the feeling that every little mistake you make is going to be punished. And yeah. I, I think that is the, 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 the main problem we have right now is that these players are absolutely shot in terms of confidence and belief. And it's how then they, they restore some of that. 
and how they go on and, and try and win games. You know, if we, if we were talking about Manchester United, well, if we could win against Manchester United, it would be a nice, you know, a little bit of a step forward in terms of our confidence. So we could take that into Dortmund. And now we're going, right, we've lost against United. But if we can win against Dortmund, then our next game which is, what, West Brom. Mm. And then I think we're, we're playing Southampton. You know, you're, you're worrying now about, well... It becomes a, almost a weekly thing if we can just do this. If we can just, and we're in a position where we, as fans, obviously are powerless to do anything about it. But we can't. I, I just can't help but be really concerned that playing well or playing relatively well and losing will be just as damaging to the confidence as playing badly and getting spanked. Yeah, that's a very good point. And the, the you know, you say, oh, we can just turn that corner if we get this one win. But we're now like a week away from December. And I just feel like we haven't seen this team click at all, to be honest. No, once it happened, yeah. once this season, and that was Galatasaray. And then, obviously, that that went a bit funny because because Chesney was sent off. There was that few minutes at Aston Villa, which were great, but that was Aston Villa, and every one of them was doing diarrhoea in their own mouth. <laughs> and you know when you look at the teams we've beaten in the league I think it's Sunderland Palace Villa Burnley I think they're all 14th and downwards in yeah. the table it doesn't well, that, look great at all no really. that tells a story and we're a team that needs to win to start winning games and going on a run of games uh, a run of wins and it's really difficult to see how, how we're going to do that with the way things are in terms of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of the overall team and the confidence and lack of it. Well, I wonder, because Arsene Wenger, one thing he is capable of as a manager is putting together these runs of consecutive wins. You know, like he, he, t- he tends to do it at one point every season. Yeah. Have a sort of sustained run of wins. And I wonder if, when you've got a, a style of play and a system and a philosophy that's so dependent on players taking responsibility and making decisions for themselves I feel like confidence is more important in that kind of team than it might be in a side where you've got real structural rigour and everyone knows their job absolutely dictated by you yeah because if a player let's say let's take the example of Chelsea if a player in the Chelsea team let's say Azpilicueta I should have chosen one that's easier to pronounce but you did well though that's good thank you Um, let's say he's feeling a bit down he's not got confidence he probably has a detailed plan of exactly how he should be playing that even when he doesn't really trust his own judgment, he can stick to. Yeah. And I kind of feel like with Arsenal, because they've got that much more freedom, if you don't have that self-confidence, it falls apart. Mm. And the reason you see those sustained runs come together is because when they get some victories behind them, then they have the sort of self-belief to take ownership of their roles on the pitch. But without that, you're in really big trouble. Yeah, that's a great point, I think. That's a mm. really good point. And it is, let's face it, it's fine margins. It's not like it's not like uh, you have to do things radically different to change things. Mm. It is fine margins. It's, you know, when to push up or when to, you know, that um, one week or that decision that, that doesn't work, the next week, you know, you make the right decision um, and it, it becomes natural. It's almost instinctive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but otherwise, there's room for doubt. Yeah, that, that creates problems. Yeah. So the big question is how do we how do we get ourselves onto a run where 
um, the, the players are in a position mentally where they can reach their reach their peak or do play as well as we know that they can or should be able to. That's yeah, the I mean, question. That is the question. And, you know, I think we've seen an answer to it in the past when, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, when Arsenal kind of went back to basics and in order to get themselves into a position where they could play with a bit more freedom, had to play in a more restricted manner. Yeah. All right. Well, look, we'll see. Uh, just finally was, um, uh, for this part, Jack Wilshire lucky to stay on the pitch? I thought so, yeah. I have to say, very, very lucky. I don't know. I don't know how. I feel. I wonder if he was being afforded some of the same protection we've seen given to other England stars down the years, the likes of Alan Shearer. You know, mm. because I, I can't see how he got away with that. I know it wasn't strictly head to head. Well, um, that's good. Only because he couldn't reach. Yeah, indeed. I mean, what did you think? Uh, at first, I thought it was uh, Fellaini overreacting to something. Um, but, you know, maybe that just kind of sums up where we are in terms of, you know, this squad that Wilshire made a foul and it was a foul. And then he took a- exception to the decision and took exception to Fellaini going, what are you talking about? That was a foul. That, mm. you know, that, that that's, um, I don't want to say mental weakness, but what the hell was he, what was he thinking? I mean, well, what, I was he, if- what was he so objecting to there? I've no idea. I wonder if some of maybe the frustration at that miss played into that because it was such an awful, you know, thing to do, and he, he really could have been sent off, and that would have been an earlier turning point in the game. Mm. Um, I mean, we all, you know, we've all got a lot of affection for Jack, but I think Football Three Six Five said that it was almost like him trying to sum up his Arsenal career in like you know seventy odd minutes before he went off, and mm. I think that's a bit harsh. But we saw. I definitely think we saw some of the worst of, of Jack Wilshire in that in that mm. match. All right, okay. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We're going to be back with part two and your questions right after this. Hello, welcome back to the Askcast Extra. We're going to have a look at some of your cheerful questions now, <laughs> uh, and this is, this first one comes from uh, Wiendiola, and. They ask, do you think Chesney is a liability and what chance have we got to get Petr Cech in January? I don't think he's a liability. I think last season he was, along with Peter Cech, the outstanding goalkeeper in the Premier League. Mm. Um, they shared the the golden fist, did they not? I think they did, yeah. They, they had did. a old time together. They did. And uh, this season, obviously, he is struggling. Uh, but I think there's also a very direct correlation to be made between the general stability we had defensively last season and Chesney's form and the clean sheets that he kept and the defensive shambles that we are this season and the fact that he hasn't really been playing as well as he can. I think if you were to put any goalkeeper in the world behind the defence and uh, the defence we've had this season uh, and in a team with the defensive issues that we've had this season, they would struggle. Mm. I think they would. That's not to say I think Chesney's playing as well as he can. I think he's his own form, much like almost every player in this Arsenal team, in this Arsenal squad this season, is not as good as it can be. He's struggling for form. Um, and really, you can only point to one or two players who who, uh, who who have hit the heights that you would expect. So he's out of form, but I still think that he's a very good 
goalkeeper. He's still young uh, in terms of goalkeepers. He can still improve. But I think, you know, it's it's not that it's unrealistic to expect him to do more. I can't think of anything really abysmal that he's done that has cost us a game or no, points. I, there no, have been a couple of either. moments, some bad decisions. But again, I think that comes from playing behind a jittery defense that, you know, perhaps as goalkeeper, he's feeling responsible or, or trying to uh, trying to snuff out danger when maybe he could be um, he could be a bit more sensible. But, you know, I think the main issue is he's playing behind a defense and a, and a defensive midfield that has been well below par. I mean, what about the kind of statistical quirk? I mean, I haven't got the numbers in front of me, but it feels like. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. First shot on target is invariably a goal at the moment. Is that something where you have to look at your keeper as compared to, say, De Gea, who made a, a lot of saves this weekend? Uh, I suppose so, but I guess you also have to look at the, the chance itself rather than just the, the statistic, yeah. uh, which would make it very biased uh, against the goalkeeper. You have to look at where the shot came from, how the shot came about. Uh, you know, was it a brilliant finish? Um, you know, how much chance did he have to make the save from the first opportunity that we gave the opposition? And normally, the thing is, when we're giving away chances, we're giving away um, very good chances for, for strikers. You know, if you look at the headers from close range, um, you know, shots and, uh, you know, so I think, yeah, okay, you have, to, you have to look at the goalkeeper to a certain extent when you have a statistic like that, but it, it doesn't tell you anywhere near the full story as, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, for me as well, I think he's still the right man to be the number one at Arsenal. I think he had a fantastic season last year. He was one of our, probably one of our best three or four players um, and maybe didn't get quite as much credit as he deserved. And I I think he's struggling. Like, as you said, I think only really Alexis, maybe Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, I would say, are sort of yeah. players who I could describe as being in good form at the moment. And, you know, he's one of the majority in that he's not. Mm. As for Petr Cech, I just can't see any reason that, that Chelsea would ever let him go to us. I don't think it would be even even an option. Really. No, and I, I don't think there's any interest from our part either. Ha- having signed a spinner in the summer, yeah, I think it would be extremely unlikely. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, um, here's a question from West Antone. And he says, we've got three record signings in the squad. Mesut Ozil, Alexis Sanchez, Danny Welbeck. 
Is having money a problem for Arsene Wenger? <laughs> um, I, no, I don't think so. Um, I, I'm not sure why it would be, if I'm honest. What, because it's spent poorly? Is that the implication? No, but because m- maybe there's an expectation that comes ah. with, with money or or that he is more comfortable operating within a certain budget or within a certain budgetary um, sphere of player that he's finding it difficult to... I mean, he's find he's found it very difficult to get the best out of one of the best playmakers in the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the thing is, the, the, the reason in which it, for which it could become a problem for him is because I think it takes away a bit of an excuse. Uh, and I think I've said that before, but for a long time, criticism of Arsene Wenger had to be tempered by the fact that he didn't have vast budgets you know at his disposal but having spent that kind of money on those kinds of players that you know caveat is removed Mm. so I think he you know his competence comes more glaringly into into the spotlight um but I would say while the jury may be out on Ozil Alexis for example looks like an excellent signing I don't think it's I don't think that money has been spent poorly um, and I don't think anyone really would contest that I think that you know they all seemed like sensible signings at the times they were made I just think and I think that actually they'll they'll make a decent contribution this season that trio but I think that where it does become a problem is because it it casts more light on on other areas. You know, you you can't hide behind that thing of not having money anymore. Mm. So in that respect, I think that could be an issue. I mean, do you have a, a point of view on on this? No, I mean, I I think we've said it before. The issue I don't think this summer, the issue wasn't the money we spent; it was the money we didn't spend. You know yeah. that, that that I don't have any issues with any of the signings. I think they've all been good signings. Ospina maybe. You know, um, we've we we haven't seen enough of him really, but on the face of it, on paper, an experienced international goalkeeper who was outstanding in the World Cup, coming in to put some pressure on your your number one keeper, it's a good idea. Chambers, fantastic young player, Debushi, very solid. Obviously, unfortunate that he got injured. Uh, Alexis uh, is great. Welbeck, I think, is going to be a very useful squad player. Who else was there? Uh, I'm not sure. Was there one more? Don't know. Lost I don't track. know. Yeah, I kind of lost. I think that was it. But the issue, of course, is where we didn't spend the money. Um, uh, and that's the, the defence again. Um, so, yeah, but I... I, but I is, is there a problem as well that it raises expectations? You know, That's you exactly you, it, yeah. You spend £80 million. Pounds. I think people are a bit disingenuous sometimes. They say, oh, Liverpool... You spent a hundred million quid, and they said the same as Spurs last season. But the truth is that actually they didn't spend anything like that net because they lost in both cases an extraordinary player mm. who who really helped to get them to those heights. You know, we spent that. We only took in, you know, what, what we got for Vermaelen. Say, we spent an enormous amount of money net, and we haven't made progress. And I think that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, but I think the expectation wasn't just based on what we did in the summer, it was what we did last season. That yeah. if the title challenge fell away in the end, people were encouraged by the fact that we were top of the table for so long and that we got the monkey, the trophy monkey off our backs. And that is supposed to have been 
the, the, the kind of thing that would, that would help us progress and continue to make progress. And instead, what we've done is it looks like we've, we've gone backwards. So that, I think, is part of the frustration. I think, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, we could go on about this for a long time, but I think that the problems we're having now do stem back to about midway through last season when having established ourselves at the top of the table, playing quite a, a tight, uh, conservative almost brand of football, it felt like there was a desire to take the shackles off and that led to some pretty humbling defeats against some of the big teams. And it, in some respects, mm. I don't think our confidence ever ever recovered from that. I would tend to agree. I'd mm. agree. All right, let's have another one. Another one. Okay, let's have this one. This is from Steve Moore, 4116. Uh, and he asks, instead of playing Jack and Aaron in the same side, he's got the nuclear approach here, should they both be dropped in favour of Flam Tetter? Oh, um, I don't. Uh, yeah, it's difficult because you 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 need to find some kind of balance in midfield mm-hmm. um, between the defensive side of things, which is obviously an issue. But I don't know. I don't know. It's it's horrible kind of a choice in a way, and that's not to be dismissive of the players in question. But I don't think I don't think Ramsey and Wilshire have yet figured out how to play together. No. I think I don't think the manager has figured out how to get them both in his team. Although he seems quite determined to do it, um, yeah. but at the same time, I don't know that Arteta and Flamini works particularly well but this goes to, could tie in with another question that I have here from uh, Jane Cavendish at jcav90 uh, uh, and she asks after prior crisis in March 13 we went back to basics defenders defended deep and midfielders sat why don't we do it now which is I think something we've we've touched on before but maybe then Flamini and Arteta could provide that defensive midfield shield Properly, I, I don't know. I just don't think any of the solutions are ideal. The midfield no, balance exactly. has been wrong. I think, you know, I, I think if everyone's on form, I think the best bet for us is to play Arteta with Ramsey just a little bit ahead of him. So almost like two at the base of the midfield with yeah. a, a Cazorla with an Ozil in the number number 10 position. I think that's the best uh, solution when we, when the players are in form uh, and with everybody fit, but obviously Ramsey's not in form at all. No, I thought Arteta was quite good against United. I thought he defended pretty well, snuffed out Van Persie a couple of times. He was you know always there. Um, he, he's never going to be the dynamic midfield enforcer that people want, but at the moment he is the best uh, option that we have in that. I position. thought he might have been our, our best player actually against United. The issue is the players in front of him. I thought it was Ramsey and Wilshire that were more the problem in in midfield. Um, do, does Flamini bring anything that Ramsey or Wilshire don't? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, what I do know is that they they played together at Sunderland, kept a clean sheet. Everyone was very surprised when they started together at home to Burnley, kept a clean sheet. Now, obviously, I know the opposition is not of great quality, but... 
and Flamini's nowhere near the player that Ramsey is or, or that Wilshire is. But I just wonder if, yeah, there might be something in it. And just in terms of, I think what, what Jane Cavendish says is, is right. I think we need to go back to basics to an extent. And it seems to me that an out-of-form Aaron Ramsey, in some respects, it feels like he does as much harm as good. It's it, We've talked about it before, but when he gets it wrong, he gets it really wrong. And uh, he doesn't seem to be offering too much defensively at mm. present, which is strange because he's perfectly capable of it. But it's that question of form again. I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like there is a midfielder missing, and we've talked about that for a long time. But I feel like, you know, when you're trying to make these combinations work, invariably you sort of think, right, well, you might want to go with two very sort of solid deep line midfielders so he'd go with Arteta and one other and Flamini becomes the default choice but he's not necessarily the player that any of us would choose Mm. given more freedom so in short we don't know we don't know but it wouldn't surprise me to see it in some forthcoming away games I have to say what about against Dortmund on on Wednesday is that a game where our approach has got to be more cautious given that our Cavalier approach cost us against Manchester United. Do we then have to take stock and say, okay, I know we're at home, I know it's a game we've got to get something from, but should it be a first do not lose approach? Possibly. I think, you know, we, our best, maybe our best performance in the early period of last season came against Napoli, and Mikola Teta and Matthew Flamini both started in that game in the Champions League. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Ramsey, I think, played wide right. And that might be an option for us and I do think he'll be worried about Dortmund after seeing what happened in the reverse fixture you know it's not a game they're desperate to win but they've got such quality going forward that even without Marco Royce who fortunately will be injured um, that I think it's something he'll consider the problem is that in theory you tell Aaron Ramsey to sit in deep alongside Mikel Arteta that should be something that he's able to do but for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to be providing us with the security that you'd expect. Mm. I mean, he did it all right for the first 55 minutes yeah. uh, against United. He wasn't spectacular by any means and, and didn't do an awful lot offensively. But, you know, we were we were pretty solid un, until that point. So maybe maybe that's the solution. And, and you know, uh, does the manager have any choice but to play the players until they can find some form? given that we don't have much in the way of options. What's the option there in midfield? Play Oxlade-Chamberlain, perhaps? Maybe. I mean, the main, yeah, as we say, the main option is Flamini, and he's coming for a lot of criticism this season for performing really badly. Yeah. So it's not it's not a great state of affairs. OK, uh, this is a question, seeing as we've, we've uh, touched on Dortmund. Um, it comes from Roger Barra, at Roger Barra. And he says, we're two points behind fourth. Dortmund are in the relegation zone, so why don't their fans behave like ours? He says, why don't their fans behave abominably, which I think uh, is a bit harsh uh, on on our fans. But obviously the manager is uh, taking a lot of criticism, but Jurgen Klopp, maybe not so much criticism. So there's a question. I don't know. I don't know because I don't know really. I'm not a member of any Dortmund forums. I don't follow a load of uh, Dortmund fans so you know as far as I know there might be some discontent but you're right from the outside it it doesn't necessarily seem so Um, maybe they're happier maybe they feel more enfranchised to be honest I think that's quite a big thing about German football 
more enfranchised. That's good. I, n- yeah. I never heard somebody being called enfranchised before. Normally, you can <laughs> be disenfranchised, but enfranchised. There you go. Yeah, I like but it. I, I, I don't know if it's a, a word, but I think, you know, there's that, th- maybe they feel, I mean, this is quite highfalutin stuff. I don't know if there's anything in this at all. I'm just trying to make up an answer to a question I don't really know the answer to. But maybe there is a sense at which they feel, yeah, I don't know, their, their connection with their club is slightly different from the one that we feel that we currently have with our own. I don't know. Could, could that, it be... It enables them to be more satisfied. Could it be that this is probably the first real dip under Jurgen Klopp, whereas Arsenal's issues have been ongoing for quite a number of years and there have been changes in the playing personnel, so the only common denominator now is is Arsene Wenger. Could that be it? Possibly, possibly. And speaking to people who've watched Dortmund regularly, um, what they've said to me is that they feel a little bit like this, this run has been something of an anomaly and that actually they have been quite unfortunate along the way. The other thing to consider is obviously that they lost Robert Lewandowski this summer and have lost major stars year in, year out. So they're, whereas we're not in a position where that's happened the last couple of years, we don't have that, you know, excuse to offer. Yeah. I think I think there are various things. I think as well that, that the issue with our own manager is that I, and I, I think Tim Stillman wrote a column about this for Ask Blog, where I think we're, as a fan base, just a little bit maybe tired of some of these things. You know, we've we've had this manager in place for such a long time and I wouldn't go as far as saying familiarity breeds contempt, but it certainly can increase levels of friction over time. And I think that there is a, a frustration at seeing things come round again and again. Mm. Uh, and I think in that respect, the length of a reign can, you know be something that produces a little bit of edge. Sure. I mean, even Sir Alex Ferguson, I know Manchester United fans who, even though they continued to be successful, were quite frustrated with some of his decision-making by the end of his tenure, which you know might seem crazy given that they were still winning leagues and cups. But I think that it's just that familiarity and that, that slight grating that can occur. Yeah, it did happen, didn't it, when they went that, what, three years without winning the title? I think they went three years, yeah. And certainly I remember there were there were United fans who were saying, that's it, you know, it's done, he's done, he's been there too long, he can't change. And he did, in fairness to him, um, and won titles again. But I think, yeah, it could be to do with the length of time that Arsene Wenger has been in charge, certainly. It'll be interesting. I mean, you know, Klopp is a lot of people's kind of anointed potential successor, isn't he? Yeah. He seems to be a name that crops up a lot. So to see these two sides play on Wednesday, it's kind of, it's interesting timing, certainly. Yeah. I mean, it is. And he, to me, he does at the moment seem like the 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 outstanding and obvious candidate. Um, but of course, Arsene Wenger has a three-year deal. So, mm-hmm. so there you go. Okay, look, another question. Okay, this okay. one comes from Michael Hatcher. He's at Tal Rose. And he asks, would three at the back make us more solid? Chambers, Mertzacker and Monreal with Gibbs and Bellerin as your wingbacks. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, because then what you're doing is you're playing, you're still playing 
Who's going to sweep there? Because you need somebody to sweep. So Mertesacker, I guess, would be your your sweeper in a, a three-man central defence. Right. Monreal still out of position at centre half. Bellerin nineteen. I, you know, I don't think it's. I don't think changing the defensive formation is the answer. Really. Um, no, I mean, that, that, we've that barely got work. two centre backs. Well, we? that's it. And then can... you know what happens if if one of those centre halves gets an injury? You've made a decision to change formation, to change the system of the team, which is not always easy to do. You then have to implement that uh, the changes that that it, it, it has on the midfield, on the way you attack, etc., etc. Um, no, I just I just don't just don't see that as the right. Uh, the right way to go. I think when we get Koscielny and Debushi back, and hopefully by a defender in January, I think we'll be. I think we'll be more solid. The issue for me is getting to January because we've got how many games between now and then? Probably nine or ten yeah, before the window opens. Hang on, let me just have a look here. So we've got. Okay, including tomorrow, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine games before the transfer window opens. Then we've got a game on January the 1st, which is not going to be, uh, you're not going to have a signing in, in place for that. Then there's one on the weekend of January 3rd, which is the, f- the third round of the FA Cup. You're unlikely to have anything done before that. And then the window that you've got then is before we play Stoke at home on Sunday the 11th. So you've got from that Saturday to the Sunday, hopefully to, you know, bring people in and have them integrated and ready into the team. Because I think we go uh, Stoke at home, then Manchester City away. So you'd want to have your new players in place before you're going to Manchester City, right? So it's... um, it's getting to the point where we can make those signings still in good shape. That's the uh, that's the real issue, I think. So, uh, and you know, there's a there's a worry, I think, as well that when you're playing that many games in a row, you know, the manager can shift his midfield around a little bit. He's got Theo Walcott and Olivier Giroud coming back now. He can shift things around a little, a little bit up front. He's got Lucas Podolski complaining that he's, you know, not a clown. He's there as well if he wants to change things around up front. There are options, but we don't have any options at the back. And mm-hmm. I worry that playing that many games, like it's, wow, it's Saturday Tuesday, Saturday, where it's Stoke, Galatasaray, Newcastle. Then we've got Liverpool. We've got Newcastle, then Liverpool. The 21st is Liverpool, 26th Queen's Park Rangers, 28th West Ham. You're asking those defenders to play that many games. Maybe Koscielny and Debussy will be back then to give us a bit of a, a bit of rest. But it's going to be it's going to be a tough job keeping those players fit. Because if we get any more defensive injuries, fuck, what do we do? Seriously, what do you do? You're looking, at, you're looking at Flamini as a fullback, something like that, right? Or you're delving deep, 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 deep into the into the youth and, and hoping that they can cope for a game or two. I think someone said the other day that Isaac Hayden might be injured. He is, yeah. He's, he's out for a few weeks. 
<laughs> he did. He posted a picture on Twitter. You know, he got he got promoted to the first team squad. Then uh, posted a picture on Twitter of him in uh, one of those protective boots. Of course, probably got his, his promotion. Yeah, probably what sealed the deal. They were like, he has got the stuff. Yeah. On, on the three at the back thing, I just think if there are any doubts over the, the coaching of the side and their ability to kind of you know, set up a defence and, and put them in the correct positions. I just think, why would you complicate that by trying to introduce a new system? At least there's a degree of familiarity with four four two to build upon. Yeah. Uh, or four, you know, four five one, whatever it is. So I think it's going to be that for for, for for a while at least. All right. Uh, is it my question? No, it's, I think so. It's my question. Um, I think we're kind of towards the end of this one. Okay. To be honest. Um, do you have another one or...? I've, I've got loads of questions, mate. Loads. Don't you worry about that. No, no, but I mean, you know, if you, if your question didn't make it on, it's it's just misfortune. It's time. How, how long can a podcast be, ultimately? Exactly, and how, how many times can we talk about things? Yeah. Things As we can... said, we've got a lot of these to do. We do. Between now and the days of our Between now death, and death. death, death. Summer 2017. <laughs> um, okay, I've got one final one. Okay. Seeing as we were, there weren't too many of these questions this week and everyone was quite serious. What would you rather hmm. be stuck in a room where you have to listen to that Taylor Swift song every day for three hours, nonstop, on repeat, the whole sort of Guantanamo thing going on there. Okay. Or sleep on a pillow which is not made of duck feathers or foam, but cockroaches. So a cockroach pillow or the Taylor Swift song every day for three three hours. Right. The cockroach pillow? Yeah. They're alive. Are they inside a pillowcase? They are, of course, yeah. So they're moving? They are moving, but it's stitched up because otherwise they'd just escape and it would be a useless pillow. It's sealed? It is absolutely sealed. It's sewn up and it's full of wriggling cockroaches. Okay. But if I take that option, will I ever hear the Taylor Swift song again? Never. Only reverberating inside my skull. Will it Will it rid me of the earworm? I can't make that promise. <sighs> that might have sealed it. Um, I would say... And when I'm listening to the, the Taylor Swift song forever... I would say for a period of six months... For both I'm trapped of them. in a room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but you, you, you know, it's it's easy to say. Oh, I could put up with that for a week, but it, let's say it's either six months of cockroach pillow or six months of three hours of Taylor Swift. Oh, it's three hours a day. Three hours a day for six months, and you never know what hours they're going to be. They could wake you up in the middle of the night and take you and play that song at you, or it could be first thing in the morning. I think. I mean, look. Has anyone tried the cockroach pillow? It might have medical benefits that we're unaware of. Cockroaches smell, though, I've learned recently. Do they? Yeah, they have, like, a scent. A quite distinctive smell. It's probably I, from all the goo they splurge out. Yeah, I think so. Look, I think I'm... I'm going to regret this, possibly, but I'm going to go for the cockroach pillow. Yeah? I just think that the Taylor Swift thing... I mean, what if they were waking you up in the middle of the night? That would disturb your sleep anyway. Yeah. Whereas, at least with the cockroaches... I mean, it you know, it might be comfy. It could be like a beanbag. 
in the end, it probably would be because they they would die in there, surely. Unless you've got know. fresh cockroaches inserted into the pillow every day to plump it up. They can survive anything, though, cockroaches, can't they? I mean, Apart from being squashed. Yeah. They're not very good at surviving that, trust me. Yeah? Yeah, when, when we moved to Spain, uh, the first apartment we had when we were waiting to, to get our house had a little bit of a cockroach problem, and one of our cats was quite a hefty cat. Smithers was the name of the cat. Right. <laughs> we called it Smithers when we thought it was a boy, but then turned out to be a girl. We knew it was a girl when it had kittens. But uh, the cockroaches would come up into the bath, and Smithers would sit in the bath and just squash them. With her, with her paws? With her paws. Uh, you know, she'd trap it and then just kind of sit on it, and then there would just be, like, squash cockroach everywhere. So they're not good at surviving squashing. That's weird. It's like a sort of cat equivalent of that fairground thing where you have to hit things with hammers. Mm. Um, well, yeah, cockroach pillow. Sign me up. Yeah? Why not? All right. Fair enough. I think i go Taylor Swift. <laughs> I would, you, I, I mean, at the end of the day, if you like the song, then it's... That's not that bad. It's not so much that I like it. It's that uh, the cockroach thing would just, nah. I couldn't, this, this scrunching around, you know, when the you're scuttling. lying. Yeah, the scuttling. And when you're lying there uh, trying to get to sleep and all you can hear is like. <laughs> that, would, that would be too much for me. So I'd rather, rather Taylor Swift. We'll agree to disagree. Hey, it's about time we found something we disagreed on. <laughs> Um, All right. Well, look, uh, let's keep fingers crossed for Dortmund on Wednesday. We'll be back next Monday to discuss the, uh, the... Whatever happens against West Brom. Sobering defeat to West Brom. <laughs> Until then, folks, take it easy. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.